Welcome to the Women's Health Podcast. I'm Marika Hart from Herosphere. And I'm Anthony Lowe, the physio detective. Together we interview leading authorities, answer questions, and share our thoughts to provide the general public with the best quality information we can find on all aspects of women's health. Please remember the materials and content on this podcast are intended as general information and for entertainment purposes only. They are not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Now it's time to get cracking with the episode, so whether you're out walking your dog, driving the kids to school, or just sitting back enjoying a glass of wine, we hope you enjoy the show. Okay, hello everybody. Welcome back to the Women's Health Podcast. Uh, this is Marika Hart and I am here, of course, with my co-host, Anthony Lowe. Good morning, Anthony, or almost afternoon for you. How are you? You're muted, so we can't hear you. <laughs> well, thank you, Rookie Era. It's been a while. We've been so busy. I know it's insane. We kind of went through this phase of doing like two or three podcasts a week at the start of COVID. And then in the last, I don't know, two months, you and I have really been, oh my God, head down, ass up, working so hard in our various jobs. Um, but I, I haven't seen your smiling face for ages. So it's very nice to see you, even though you can't see me because my internet is crap today. It's one of those things. It's... um. It has been fun though to to work. I, I decided to run four courses, live courses online simultaneously, <laughs> different areas of the world, and I found out that it's quite stressful. Um, Funny that. <laughs> just a little bit, but it's been good. It's been a good experience, and also you know the guests that we had uh, lined up also couldn't make the dates, um, so that was also part of the reason why we haven't been. Um, on the air as much because you know life comes up and and that's okay but we're back and we've got three awesome awesome guests um lined up before christmas which i'm really excited about one of which is with us right now um we have amanda thebe and actually amanda i didn't even ask you how to pronounce your surname is it thebe or phoebe correct thebe Thebe. Oh, thank you. Yeah, awesome. That would be embarrassing if I got your name wrong. No, everybody gets it wrong and then they can't say the name of the book. And then I'm just like, oh, for crying out loud. It's all so very easy. <laughs> oh, I'm you, with you. I, I chose a name right. for an online business that um, I soon realized that, that half the people didn't know how to pronounce. And I thought, <laughs> oh, shit, what have I done? Okay, so <laughs> today we have Amanda on the podcast. I actually heard Amanda on another podcast and thought she was absolutely brilliant. And because her topic of interest is something that is of personal interest to me um, and might be for, you know, Anthony as well, maybe. Um, Amanda, is a, she's a fitness professional. She's been in the game for over 20 years. She's, she's done lots of podcasts, online summits. Um, she's been in lots of media outlets. She lives in Houston, Texas, but does not have a Texan accent at all, which you will all um, come to realise. Uh, but she's written a book about menopause and it's called, um, well, Menopocalypse, I thought. It's exactly what it's called. Well done. Well done. See, you're amazing. <laughs> Menopocalypse, how I learned to thrive during menopause and how you can too. So welcome to the podcast. Oh, she's showing the book and I love the picture on the front. Look at those guns. Yes. 
Welcome, welcome, Amanda. Thank you so much for joining us. We did it. We eventually got this going. It was a it took a little bit of organization. Like beat Texas to Australia is not that easy to organize. Um, but we did it. So it's it's evening time here. It's pitch black outside. I'm just about to have my dinner after I've spoke to you guys. And it's early morning, isn't it there? Yeah, I got my coffee here. I got my coffee that I'm, I'm snuggling. I'm actually, truth be told, I am in bed with my doona over my lap. But that's because my husband's working from home. So he has the office. So I might as well be comfy. Um, one of the reasons, Amanda, that we, we sort of had issues, we've been trying to book you for about three or four months now. But you got COVID during this and you were very, very ill. Tell us about how you're doing. I'm fine. I'm completely fine now. And uh, yeah, I actually forgot I'd had COVID until Anthony asked me how I was doing. And I was like, yeah, I had COVID. Did you know? And uh, you know how your memory just, you can't remember. It's been quite the year, hasn't it? Like there's been so much happening. Um, but in March, I got COVID. I never got tested positive for COVID, but I got a presumed positive diagnosis from the ER doctor. That because that was at the time the only place you could get a test. And so I went to ER, was really unwell. Um, and you know, it was like three weeks of feeling pretty crappy. And then I thought, oh, that's it done. You know, I'm and no, and my kids were sick for a little bit, but not you know, really poorly like me, like just like they had the trots actually. They just couldn't stop going to the toilet. But um Aww. I know, yeah. And uh but then afterwards I just never actually recovered. It took me ages and so I became what's now being termed as a long haul COVID survivor. And really it was essentially post-viral syndrome. You know, any mm -hmm. virus you get you I didn't know this actually. Obviously, I am a bit of an expert now. <laughs> but how how I didn't survive COVID and, and thrive should be my next book. <laughs> but, they, <laughs> but the um, post-viral syndrome was um, is something that you can get from sort of like any virus. But this one was particularly brutal. And it just, every time I thought I was getting better, I just get knocked back again. And I couldn't exercise I couldn't even do normal stuff like pottering around in the kitchen like I I was exhausted and sleeping all the time I was short of breath you know it was really rough and um and then slowly things started to get better and then I realized it was like probably two weeks after I was like oh I think I'm fine like I actually think I'm fine it, you know it, it wasn't just one day I woke up like that I've been left with some residual stomach GI issues um, and they're very manageable and that's literally all that's left. So I'm lucky that there was no permanent damage because I'm in some long haul survivor groups where there's like hundreds of thousands of people that have got athletes as well. You know, like this, it, it doesn't have any rhyme nor reason to who hangs on to the, like the post COVID like symptoms. Um, and some of them have got heart problems, lung problems, gut issues, permanent, you know, and mine are yeah. Mine aren't, thankfully. I remember reading about, um, there was a, do you remember, Anthony, it was a doctor in Sydney, wasn't it, who got COVID and he ended up with type 1 diabetes. Oh, really? You can, you, can, you can get type 1? I thought you were always yeah. like, huh? Yeah, he got type 1 diabetes, epilepsy, and something else. And he was, a, you know, like a working doctor in his early 50s, super fit. Um, and he's now not allowed to drive. He's not allowed to ride his bike. And I was like, Jesus, this uh 
virus is weird, like how it affects so many different systems potentially. And, and I think that I think that's you right there, Mark. I think that's the thing. It affects so many different systems. So nobody actually knows how it's going to impact you. Like there's, I had a, a really bad time with insomnia and like paranoia and really crazy dreams that were like, I'd wake up thinking that like somebody was trying to strangle me or suffocate me. And it was probably just the symptoms. But yeah, like um, the, 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 some of the damage that people, like they ended up with autoimmune diseases, right? It even reactivated Epsom-Barr virus for me, which, and it does for lots of others as well, because apparently there's like 90% of the population have that dormant in the body and it sits there waiting for the perfect storm and COVID is the perfect storm for Epsom-Barr to go, I'm going to come and make you feel wrecked and tired and shitty, even though you already do. <laughs> I'm going to kick you while you're down on the floor. I want to kick you while you're down and it did, yeah. But I'm fine now. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Sorry, Auntie, you're going to ask something? You're muted. Oh, no? Okay, good. All right, well, let's get, let's get cracking. Um, Amanda, let's talk about the... Because obviously menopause is your passion. It's your area of interest. Um, I obviously in my mid forties and heading in that direction. And I'm starting to get some very interesting little things going on. Um, so I guess it's really interesting if someone who's very much worked in the pre and postnatal fitness area for a really long time, as I'm getting older, and obviously that is of less interest to me personally, I'm sort of more getting into this, ah, oh, what's this sort of next stage in life going to be like? And mm. one of the things I love about your message in, in your book, as well as I haven't finished your book yet, but I'm just over halfway through, but yeah, you, listening you to you talk, talk as well is that is that there's a there's not this total doom and gloom this is going to be shit there's nothing to look forward to it there's some hope in there in terms of like things that you can do so it's it, i feel like you give people some strategies that maybe might help them along their journey um but if you want to share a little bit about your journey and how you came to be you know really interested in diving into this field that would be great and actually follow on to what you just said Marika because it like that you hit the nail on the head like so I've been in this um fitness industry and really the wellness industry because there's new the nutrition side of my work as well for decades and and you know we all specialize in these different we do these different courses like rehab courses and pre-post pregnancy you know the girl was gone strong team and then you've got like the senior fitness and then the, I, there was never a conversation that i ever knew about menopause it would always go from the last thing would in a woman's health i would see would be the post post-pregnancy or postnatal, postpartum, whatever you want to call it. And then it flips to over 50. Like there's not a, men a menopause conversation happening in the fitness world, really. There is a little bit more now, but there certainly wasn't when I was going through it like eight, 10 years ago. And, um, and so I never um, thought that I was going to write a book on menopause. It sort of wasn't something I planned to do. And it wasn't something I dreamed about doing. I didn't lie there and go, I want to write a book all about menopause. And it would be my live stream. Like I always thought I would write a book about traveling or, you know, <laughs> food. Um, um, and I, what happened is went into my 40s feeling pretty good, you know, I'd invested, invested tons of time and energy and money in my health, you know. And so I thought, you know, I've got this aging business nailed because going into your 40s is quite like a pivotal time in your life, right? Like you mature and you, you, you feel a, a little bit less frivolous and you, you're concerned about your health. Like all of those things mattered to me. 
And then when I was 42, I started to feel very unwell to the point that um, it started to impact my mental well-being as well as my emotional well-being and and those around me too and I went to doctors for those two years who were desperate to help me like there wasn't one of those doctors that was like like dismissive which happens a lot to women they were like we can see you're not well we want to help you but we can't we don't know why and I had really bad vertigo and which turned out to be migraines, migraines with aura. It wasn't, I even went to a vestibular rehabilitation, which I loved, but it didn't help me because it wasn't BPPV. It wasn't like a positional vertigo. It was all hormonally um, derived. Um, I, so I had vertigo, which was part of the migraines. I would lose feeling in all my face and my hands. Like I would have this numbness that was like I was having a stroke. In fact, I used to say to my husband, do I look like I'm having a stroke? Like, I couldn't work out why it would happen to me. Then I would throw my guts up and, and then ultimately I was struggling with depression, but that wasn't clear to me at the time. You know, I just didn't feel good. I didn't feel myself. And um, eventually I broke down at my annual gynecology appointment, which was like two years after I'd started going to the doctor. And he said to me, I can see something's not right. What's the matter? And I, you know, opened up and he just said to me, well, these are clear symptoms of perimenopause. They're valid. I can help you. And I've seen this like every day of my life working as a gynecologist. Um, um, I, you know, I, I've, you're in good hands type thing. And I, the first thing I said was, what's perimenopause? I'd never heard of perimenopause before because it wasn't in my conversation pool in the fitness world with my friends with my mom nobody was talking about this and so ultimately I fell down that rabbit hole and came out the other side with a book right because I just was like what's what's going on and why was it so difficult for me to find this information both from a medical standpoint and from a fitness and wellness standpoint and then I did find some people talking about it, but I didn't relate to their message because it was either people that were like doctors who had written books and it was just too medical. And my brain and my cognitive ability was so impaired. Like women think they've gone through Alzheimer's because of the, the cognitive problems. I couldn't take it all in. And then the other books were like flippant or just like too funny. And I was like, I don't effing care about you making a joke about this. Yeah, we can find humor in this, but stop being so ambivalent about it. I actually want to know the reason why I'm feeling so shit, right? Um, and so then I, I got connected with tons of experts in the area, which was so good for me. And I used to have a podcast, so I got these people on and I started writing about it. So I ended up just with a body of work that I thought I'm going to put this into a book. And then there was some big gaping holes as well. So I had to do a tiny bit of work. I had to sort of like pull my finger out and actually look things up. And, but it was, it was a, a learning experience for me. I wrote the book thinking I knew quite a lot and learned quite a lot in the process. And I hope that people reading it feel the same way and they don't just go into this thinking, well, she's going through menopause. So she's just going to stop having a period, have a few hot flashes and whatever. She might get fat. I mean, that's sort of the message I thought. I thought it was an older person's problem. I was 42 and feeling and looking quite well. Um, I'm 50 now. I'm fully menopausal and I was at 48. And people think that that's young. It's not. So, you know, like, I think we need to open up the dialogue, the conversation, 
and just make this something that we can, you know, munch, munch on our salad at the dinner table. Saying, yeah, I think menopause is kicking my butt today. You know, it shouldn't be so taboo, right? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for all of that. It's uh, such an interesting journey that you've taken. And starting at 42, it seems early for a lot of people. Like you said, they seem to, to think that it's an older person's problem. And like you said, you know, your periods will stop, a few hot flushes, a few hot flashes, and, and that's it. Um, can you tell us how you felt about struggling to find that information and, and whatever your preconceptions were as well? Like you said, you didn't, you didn't even know what perimenopause was, um, and how that contrasts, well, how that's, how that compares to how other people feel that you've come into contact with. And obviously, you know, you've been very motivated to get this information out, which I, you know, we think it's fantastic, which is why we've got you on the show. We want to get this information out too. Um, yeah, how did it feel to realize that there just wasn't this there and then hearing from other people as well? And why do you think it is so hard to get out there? As a whole yeah, bunch? I mean, there's a, there's a few sort of parts to that. I can talk, by the way, so if you need me to stop talking, just call. <laughs> I mean, the first part, the two, the two years where I wasn't feeling like myself, was was the most desperate time I've ever felt in my whole life because I thought this is the new me. I didn't actually, I thought nobody knows why I'm struggling with my health like this. So maybe this, and I know I haven't got anything seriously wrong. I've had MRI scans, CAT scans, you name it. So they're telling me I don't have a serious illness. It's life-threatening. So maybe this is just how I have to be from now on. And maybe I don't have a good personality. Maybe I do need to be isolated from my friends because I can't stand people because they suck. You know, like it was just like I didn't want to be around anyone, even my family. So those first two years, I felt isolated. And obviously, I had mental health issues as well. For the first time in my life as well, I'd never had depression ever. So that was like a new phenomena for me. Um, and, um, I just was in a state of despair and just was like, how, how do I live the rest of my like 50 years on from this feeling as terrible as this? And it was, so it was a horrible, horrible time. Um, and then, um, when I got answers, then I was like, why couldn't, why couldn't any of those other doctors who I spoke to ask me, like say, Oh, well, you're 42 potentially you're in perimenopause. We know that perimenopause can start in your late 30s um, and can last eight to 10 years. The average age of menopause for a woman, meaning the time that they cease having their periods is around 51. So I'm around 51, right? So like I'm in within the age range on the earlier side, but to totally within the age range. And I just was like, why doesn't, why couldn't anyone help me? And then I was angry. Then I was like, this is just stupid turns out that doctors get zero medical training and I'm pretty sure it's the same in Australia because in the medical field um, it's just considered another life a life transformation like it's not something that they consider to be like a medical condition and I suppose the the verbiage is interesting on that but you know like um, you know childbirth it it is a transition that we go through or like a life event, but it doesn't have to be painful and you don't have to suffer. And there are medical things that you can do to 
make this easier, which is like what I did. Um, and it turns out that 20% of gynecologists who go through their fellowship get menopause management training. So 80% of the gynecologists that you see, I know, it's like one of them to me. And, um, and I was like, so I asked for a referral to it for a gynecologist because my doctors told me he doesn't know anything about this and the gynecologist probably won't be able to help me. It's just so upsetting. It's a disservice to women all over the world and it has to change. And I got to say in the UK, they're making huge strides because they created a, a menopause awareness campaign that they took straight to parliament who included menopause in the education curriculum because it's just not there and it's an important part so when I told my niece who was 13 she was like oh I didn't know that happened they don't tell us about that so that's happened there are now prescribing guidelines that doctors have to follow in the UK otherwise it's malpractice they can't refuse which is great so they've done that and then the next thing is they're looking to do is mandatory medical training and I just don't understand why they don't get that out. And maybe there's new information coming out all the time and we understand how overworked and um, doctors are. So maybe they're just not up to date with things. But um, anyway, so the, one of the reasons... We're not talking about a small percentage of the population going through this though. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, 51% of the population are women. And so we're all going to go through it unless we never make it that far, right? So, I mean, mm. it's something we're all going to go through. It's as inevitable as paying your taxes, right? Or <laughs> death, <laughs> right? It's going to happen. And so it was just like this huge mystery to me. And so I wrote this one article, God, ages ago, like five years ago. And it was something, I think I called it the shite that nobody told me about perimenopause. And it just went sort of viral in my world like it wasn't massive but I think now it's been viewed about 60 70,000 times like it's substantially being viewed because women are like I had no idea so I started a Facebook community that really is just a community to talk there's nothing else happens in there and everyone that comes in goes could could this be perimenopause is this what one of the symptoms are I, I have no idea and women are finding that their quality of life is impacted to the point where they are miserable and their doctors are dismissing them because they don't have the training to help them and they can't find valid information anywhere. And so one of the main reasons I wrote this book was I wanted to help women so that they weren't lost, frustrated and alone. Because there's, I start the, the first part of the book, the first chapter is my story. And I only wanted it to be a small part of the book because I'm so tired of menopause memoirs. I'm a bit like, oh God, if I hear one more menopause story, I'm going to go crazy because we all have one, right? We all have the same one. And so I just was like, let's just get through like what went on with me, but what we know it is, what the treatments are, what the research shows, and then the strategies you can employ to just, just harness your health again. Because when you're in the pit of despair that can be, like perimenopause specifically, you often don't feel like there's any hope or anything you can do to feel better. And I think there is. I know there is, in fact. No, I think. I know. I think there's, um, I'm not going to say shame around it, but obviously there's embarrassment. People don't want to talk about um, the, some of the potential symptoms. You know, obviously we talked about the mental health side of things. We've also got the... Um, the you know potential vulvovaginal atrophy things that, that change um sex you know with sexual function and um, bladder control you know there's this whole host of symptoms and i guess 
they're not they're not things that women will often bring up around the dinner table or bring up with friends over a glass of wine. Like as a pelvic health physio, these are, these are things I talk about. Well, Marika, I mean, you yeah. know that like almost every woman postmenopausal will have some type of vaginal atrophy in her lifetime because the estrogen's not there to, you know, provide that sort of integrity. And so if you know that most postmenopausal women will go through this and only eight to 10% go and get help from their doctor because they're mortified with shame, that's mm. just so heartbreaking it's to me. Heartbreaking. My mum, my she'll hate me for saying this. Oh my God, she won't listen. I won't tell her I said this, right? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, actually didn't want to tell me but she was like oh I've had to go to the doctors and I was like well good you know good because you know she's in the 70s and she's struggling and mm. it and and those type of things the vaginal atrophy you know small leakage small like painful sex or tearing all of those things can make mm. a woman's life completely miserable yet mm. usually the solutions for helping them are simple right? It's not like this is rocket science to help them at all. It's yeah. just, it's just the act of going. There's a really great book. I don't know if it's available in Australia called me and my menopausal vagina. It's I brilliant. have it on my bookshelf. It's brilliant. It and so Jane Lewis is a, this like woman. Has it got the icy pole on the front? Yeah. Like it's got like an ice pop on the front yeah. and she wrote, she self published it. Her daughter did all the graphics and it's, it's so funny. And the pictures are brilliant. Oh my God. I was dying laughing. And I've become good friends with her because she literally put her vagina on the line for everyone. And she talks about vaginas all day long. And now it's just another word. Like although yeah. Twitter, Twitter bans vagina all the time, apparently, because they're dickheads. But, you know, really? Yeah. Oh, I'm not on Twitter much, admittedly. Yeah. Hey, Amanda, we just kind of like jumped over some. We of the did. Tweets. We did. This is what I we... do. Tommy, Tangent. no, no, no. It's all good. I was thinking, should we step back and talk about like some of the hormonal changes and then why hormone therapy might be of benefit for people? Then, like, I know that's a massive topic, but maybe just briefly, do you want to just talk about so, the hormone? So I explained that perimenopause happens for between eight to ten years um, for women who are going through and not everyone will have symptoms but m many do and there's the stats are showing like 80 percent of women will struggle through perimenopause and what happens during that time is um progesterone falls progesterone we we need for birthing and so like for whole, you know um preparing the uterus for pregnancy and because that's going to be something that goes that just falls in almost like a slide like a slide going down and then estrogen also falls but it falls in a fluctuating manner like it's like batshit crazy it goes all over the place right so um, and that's the problem right because it's usually the estrogen that causes the the symptoms and so a woman might be feeling fine one day and the next day she'll wake up and she's got, she's uh, joints are aching and she can't remember anything. And she's sweating like a, a you know, like a pig. It's a crazy, like there's no rhyme, nor reason to the symptoms. And then she might not have some for ages. And then she might have a whole new set of symptoms because it's just not set in stone. What's going to happen to you through perimenopause. I mean, in my book, I think I list about, 34, 40 symptoms. And I know there's lists out there for 50, 60, you know, like, is this perimenopause? It could be. And so that fluctuating nature of estrogen really causes um, women to go through this turmoil that they can't, literally can't control. 
there's no way that they can stop their hormones falling and 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 fluctuating like that when they reach menopause it's like a time stamp to say it's been 12 months since you've had a menstrual cycle and you no longer can reproduce and from this day forward you are postmenopausal and then that woman is postmenopausal for the rest of her life so it's not just this time when you don't have periods there's this shitty time beforehand and then this post period afterwards where you still might have symptoms and you are then now open to health conditions that you weren't susceptible to before because estrogen estrogen receptors are all over the body they protect our heart they're in our joints there's they cross the blood brain barrier um you know they're, they're everywhere and so as soon as you're without that estrogen then women are at a higher risk of cardiovascular disease um we see them uh more prone to osteoporosis. The stats of it in the US are not good. 40,000 women die as a result of breaking a hip every year, which is more than any women die of breast cancer of any age. One in two women will break a bone. Um, and so it's, and all of these are postmenopausal numbers. Um, and so, and then also Alzheimer's as well. There's a great book by Dr. Lisa Moscone. I hope I've pronounced her name right, the XX Brain. And she is a, a PhD researcher that is purely looking at the impact of estrogen on our brain. So there's loads of like research being done now. What hormone therapy does is hormone sort of like redresses the balance slightly. It's a super micro dose of um, hormones. And so if people are worried about taking it and they're on the birth control pill, there's like a hundred times less of the estrogen and progesterone than a birth control pill. But in 2002, the Women's Health Initiative issued a statement saying that hormone therapy, hormone therapy caused a number of diseases, including breast cancer and cardiovascular disease. Turns out that report was rushed to get out and a lot of the researchers involved in it have pulled back and said this statement isn't true. And even though at the time that made front page headlines in the New York Times, they've never come out and said, oh, by the way, we misquoted and actually people, women who are on HRT will actually live longer than those who aren't on HRT because of the protective nature of reintroducing estrogen back in the body. And so those fluctuating hormones that are going all over the place and going crazy, almost, they don't get balanced. There's no such thing as balancing hormones, which literally change second by second. Um, and that's what the, you know, the wellness like shills out there will try and sell you. But, but, but what it does is it sort of evens the playing field a bit. So those fluctuations maybe aren't as crazy and they, you just feel a little bit less less like a, a circus freak you know you feel like more human again and that's usually what most women say is that they've started to feel like themselves again i'm really glad you brought up the um the controversy around um the hormone therapy because i remember it. you probably do as well i do yeah my mum. i wouldn't, I wouldn't let my mum go on it i was like yeah. you no way people were like i'm not taking that because i'm going to get breast cancer it, i mean the i don't I don't even remember the articles and things at the time, but I do remember the knee-jerk reaction that came off it. And the fear that we all felt. Going on HRT or, H, you know, or hormone therapy because I will die of breast cancer. And then there were people, and I remember talking to patients who put up with symptoms till they, till they got so bad. Like they would literally be on their knees with, the, with their symptoms before they would take 
the hormones. And then they were like, oh my God, I feel a billion times better. I wish I'd done this before. But they were pretty much willing to be not a death store, but they would have to be so bad to even contemplate going on it. And it's really interesting that it's come from that that particular um, that article. And now there's this, yeah, we're sort of seeing things come back around. But I do believe that so many people still intrinsically have this thought that homotherapy is is dangerous. Well, as humans, we love to hold on to fear, don't we? It's really hard to let go. And it's nearly 20 years since that's happened. And also the hormone therapy has advanced so much since then. And it's so sophisticated now. That was done with a particular type of hormone therapy. It was an oral synthetic um, pill. And, and it's actually the most researched, it's called Premarin, and it's the most researched medication out there as far as hormone therapy. And so it is a valid option for women. But if a woman doesn't want to take like an oral pill, there's transdermal ones, you know, so you apply it via your skin, either with a gel or a patch, and it doesn't increase the risks at all. And so um, it's so great to know that, you know, the research is like, is, 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 progressing and we are being supported but even some doctors will hold on to that statement they know they remember like we all do and so they're like no there's too much of a high risk of breast cancer and so you know it's really interesting there's a brilliant book called estrogen matters and i don't know if you've read it but it's by dr avram blooming and dr carol tavris and Dr. Avram Blumen is a breast cancer oncologist and he's researched estrogen his whole entire life. And he's, this ge he's a genius man and he went through the risk factors and it's just worth buying the book to see this. And he, everything's got risk in our lives, don't we? We, all, we all have to, always have to assess the risk. Like that's why we put our seatbelts on. That's why people wear a mask. I don't know, like be out there. I'm not an anti-masker. Um, anyway, and so, you know, there's a risk to everything that we do. And so he did a chart of where taking hormone therapy fits in with other things that we do in our life every day. And you have more chance of getting breast cancer um, being a left-handed Finnish air stewardess than taking HRT. Like, it's so crazy. Like, if you're left-handed, you are a higher risk of getting breast cancer than you do if you take HRT. Eating grapefruit every day had a higher risk. Like, it's like insane. And I don't know where they get these numbers from. Being Finnish and being an air stewardess, so all of them together. But it's just like, it's just the risk factor is statistically insignificant. And in scientific terms, I'm led to understand that that means it's like 0.01 in a thousand. It's not a significant risk to our health and that's good enough for me yeah and and you know marketing of things like that like i mean when you said left-handed finnish stewardess like i mean you're elevated in the air we know that your radiation exposure as a flight attendant or a pilot um, or regular traveler is higher that makes sense to me the left-handed one i don't understand the <laughs> one I don't know, maybe it depends on vitamin D and a few other things that yeah. higher latitude people uh, have issues with. But it's interesting, isn't it, that it's just easy to say, well, it increases the breast cancer risk, therefore you shouldn't take it. And yet so many people are suffering, as, as you said. Um, and, and, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting because I liked how you said that, you know, you can't balance out hormones, you're leveling the playing field, you just 
it's the consistency, right? It's just it's exactly that, Anthony. The yeah, consistency, yeah. and from consistency, you can then see the variations a little bit more easily because you know what's in the system, and then you can, you know, that's how it's been explained to me before. And it's exactly how. That's a really great way great way to think and you know just following on from the breast cancer thing as well i mean this is not medical advice i am not even suggesting this but the medical advice from oncologists is that even women who have had breast cancer can still be candidates for hrt just because a woman has had breast cancer doesn't mean to say she can't have hrt so it's a conversation that if anyone's listening i would recommend that they speak to their medical team and assess the risks for sure yeah, a hundred percent. And um, you know, we we always we always say speak to your local provider, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, have trouble, you know, you, for sure. Reach out to those who really love um, working in this area, and and uh, we know that you're open to to hearing from people. You've got your Facebook group and everything, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So HRT is definite hormone replacement therapy is definitely helpful like we just said for the consistency side of things what are the what are the is a leading question because i know where you want to go but what other things um can people do because i think no matter what the condition is be it menopause be it any other pelvic or medical condition people really don't enjoy the helplessness feeling um they people want to do something about what's happening to them they want to take charge in some way. What are some of the other things that you found helpful? It might be in your book or just in general that you found helpful for. Let me just have a look. <laughs> I've got about 300 pages worth of stuff. No, like for sure. So that's a great question. And so, you know, one of the things that frustrated me, Anthony, was that when I was, so when I was in my, my the worst part of, the two years not knowing I still continue to do the things that I wanted to do but then would have like say for example I'd go for a run if I was sort of feeling a bit better I'd go for a run but then I'd have like three days where I'd be exhausted and I'd be like well why did that just happen I used to be able to go for a 5k run and just be fine it was nothing um, and so I realized that things had started to shift in my body and that my response to things wasn't as it used to be um, and so that way so the research has led and, and a great person to follow is Dr. Stacey Sims which who's over the pond in um Papamoa area in New Zealand <laughs> and a quick detour here like so I have family in Papamoa and uh, I connected with Dr. Stacey Sims and she's like you know that I'm in Mount Monganui and it literally is three miles away so I went for a run and we had a coffee together like that's just one of those random like small world stories which I love um she researches perimenopause and menopause in athletes more specifically so looking at the response to the body and what happens and, you know, she talks about like those fluctuating hormones through perimenopause specifically can leave our body in sort of a catabolic breakdown state. So, you know, we, estrogen is intrinsically connected with um, cortisol. And so our bodies, women really struggle to cope a lot of the time. And it's no point just saying, calm down. <laughs> I can't. And it literally, that's what I was. Yeah, you're juggling balls. You've probably got high cortisol, high stress. Um, and, then, and then people are telling you to fast, 
to lose weight and your body's going, yeah, yeah, give me more stress. I, just, I need that. And then I'll go for another, I'll go for a 5k run and I'm doing this 5k run and then I'm lying on the sofa three days later going, why was that so bad? Well, it's a, everything, right? It's never just one thing. And so the way our um, lo losing those hormones impacts the body can can feel really hard on it like so so for example what I realized I needed to do is that I needed to pull back some of the running and I started going for ones a walk run like a one I don't I didn't just make that up really <laughs> but the so I would go for a run and then I would like walk in between and it was like so hard for me who's always been like full-on hardcore to be like oh I'm a walk runner now that's that's the place I am it was a little bit difficult to um to sort of like take on board and a lot of like athletic people really struggle with their energy levels um low estrogen falling estrogen can leave women with chronic fatigue that literally can't be resolved with sleep or napping it's like just there it's almost like when I had the COVID it was like I got to work within this energy envelope that's given to me so some of the things that like I suggest to women are like if you're in that state where you're you know you're lying repose on the sofa for three days you're not going to be exercising it's like just not there for you you don't have that energy sort of space to to work with but if you feel like you can you should go for a walk get outside we know the benefits of walking there there's an untold number of studies on that so get outside get with nature get the endorphins flowing just start to feel a little bit better so the first thing i get women to do is trying to move every day if they can like there's not many times when you can't actually get out even walking around the garden like really and i just think it's so beneficial well i know it's so beneficial for women when they feel like they want to start moving again like the things like hip training can sometimes be a bit much for the body to cope with um, again it's like the whole recovery thing like it, they can do like a hard like hit to batter session and then the next day just feel like crap again so um definitely like i i am like do an assessment of your body if you really feel like this workout is going to benefit you now and you can sort of get a bit of feedback then go for it but if you're not quite there why don't you just take it down and do some strength training which we know is brilliant for you during perimenopause and menopause like it's something every woman should do instead of all the jumpy burpees and stuff that probably aren't going to benefit you i also want women to prioritize um, recovery. And that was some, that was a hard pill for me to swallow too. Like, I don't like to stop, but then I was like taking like prescribed days off. Like I would be like, if I go for, if I do a strength training session today and it's pretty intense, I'm going to see how I feel tomorrow. Sometimes the strength training sessions, I felt like I could do back to back, but if I went for a run and I felt good enough to go for a run, I always took the next day off. I needed it, right? And I realized that that was something that we know happens through perimenopause. It just, it's just a shift in the body. Post-menopause now, I'm not having any of those problems at all. And the research sort of backs that as well. So that's a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel as well to say that, you know, you might have some challenging years where you can't quite push as hard as you used to. And maybe you should do some more sophisticated exercises like take up yoga on those days when you're resting, walk more, and then really take on board strength training strength training, like pure bronze strength, instead of like always having like something jumpy in them. 
<laughs> People love doing burpees in the workout and I've never understood that, but you know, sorry, I'm not a burpee hater. Another thing that happens through perimenopause is uh, muscle protein synthesis is impacted. Essentially, the ability to convert protein into building and maintaining lean muscle mass. So unless a woman is prioritizing protein in her diet, which I know that we're all talking about all the time, but with aging and then through menopause, it's so important. So they're the things that I think are really helpful to women. Move daily, strength train if you can, add protein and recover. And then outside of that, it's really important to have the conversation about how you do manage stress. And so those recovery days are important, but also the, the time out that you take for yourself, where you sit back and you go, what's the most important thing I can do for myself right now in order to get have a successful day, to not like shit on anyone, like to be nice to my family. And for me, it was sitting outside with a cup of coffee every morning, just being by myself, sort of grounding, doing some breath work. And I do the breath work for my pelvic, pelvic health anyway. You'll be happy to hear, Marika. Like I do big diaphragmatic breaths just to just feel ready to start the day. Yeah, just like, oh my God, get the parasympathetic nervous system in, into play. And, um, and then the last part of it is the conversations we have with ourselves over aging and through menopause and how we judge ourselves too much and how we put too much stress and pressure on ourselves to be these perfect mothers, wives, whatever. And it's just bullshit. It's just exhausting. There's too much going on. And so it, it's like the whole of all of that together, which I make it sound really complicated, but... I do try and break it down into like these little manageable chunks in the book. I'm like, just why don't you try this today? Why don't you try sitting on the edge of your bed before you'd even do the day and just doing five big belly breaths? Just see how that feels. Like you, we know the benefits of, some of those type of things, right? Yeah, it's, it's really, really great advice, you know, and, and, and I know for both Marika and I, totally suits our biases and our beliefs and what we both teach. You know, um, and what I really loved was the holistic nature of the approach. Okay, so we've got the biological, we're, we're looking at the hormone replacement therapy, we're looking at strength training and the benefits of that. And with, with that comes, well, you need adequate protein intake to ensure that you can maintain and develop, um, you know, your muscle strength. We know that it's great for bone strength. We've already talked about you know, the, the likelihood of fracturing bones, especially in the postmenopausal period, um, as well as managing the stress and doing the self-care, promoting um, awareness of, you know, even the breathing in the parasympathetic system and what that looks like, um, you know, managing your relationships and your activities and even modifying the exercises, not forever, just for now, while you're in this period of time, not because you're broken, but just because you're aware that, hey, sometimes the recovery takes a little bit longer. And whilst you used to be able to not have to warm up and not stretch, well, maybe these are helpful, not because you're stretching and warming up, but because it allows a different type of activity, which is still useful. Um, and yeah, the HIIT training, the CrossFit, whatever, Look, it just might look different for you at the moment. It doesn't mean you can't do it. It's just be aware of the signs and understand the recovery period 
and you know like you said in the research as well as your own personal experience um, things can change again once you're through this perimenopausal period and one of the things that I was taught in my pelvic health training was that menopause does not uh, does, doesn't occur like falling off a cliff it's not like one day well that's it uh, you know the changes start in your 30s as you've as you've mentioned already um, and for some women it, it starts really early right it starts really yeah. early and it depends on the medical conditions and things like that um, oh I love all of this. Yeah, uh, you know, like the early menopause, it's one in 100 women will go through um, premature um, ovarian insufficiency, I think it's called POI, and it's early menopause, and it's almost exclusively misdiagnosed. They get no help. And the the, the help for them, for, for women going through early menopause, is to get them on to a low-dosage birth control pill as soon as possible or a higher-dosage HRT, like something that... Because they, they're the ones with the huger health risks to the osteoporosis and... Um, and even the fact that women get hot flushes, they've been linked to like acute anxiety, depression, heart problems, um, and even advanced Alzheimer's is some connection to it. So like even the symptoms can be cause health conditions if they're left and they're ignored. Right. So I think that, you know, one of the, the big shifts that I've had is I've never been vain and I've never been the 20 year old trying to like, you know, like take pictures and you don't see me doing like the thirst trap pictures on um <laughs> my bum like that yeah but but you know but I definitely was one of those people that was like I got six weeks till I'm going to Corfu I better just like have a, a thousand calories a day and only 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 eat salads so I can get that go out on the lash and look good in my my bikini right so but like um and so and my fitness used to be all about like like probably looking good from not really from a super vain place, but like looking good, you know, as best as I can feeling good. But now like it, there's a shift that happens. And for my leader and most women I speak to now, it's like, I just want to really take really good care of my health and prioritize that. I don't care. Like it's really good if I can deadlift my body weight times one or one and a half. But the priority is I just want to feel good. I want to feel strong and empowered and then if that means that I, you know, I look good in the meantime and I can lift heavier, then that's great. But it's not the driver for a lot of women anymore, which I love, actually. It's so refreshing. Um, and even like me getting COVID, I, I felt a little bit of a, a high, like a hypocrite. Like, <laughs> here's my book about thriving and then I literally don't thrive. But one of the things that the doctor said to me is that, you know, this tough cold of you, but your, your immune system is doing a great job. They obviously can test that um, with the blood work. And they were like, you're not, you haven't got any permanent damage and it's because you've got a robust immune system. And that's clearly been something that's ha happened from all of the, you know, the good, good nutrition and exercise and lifestyle choices that I've made. And so um, I think that like prioritizing that when you've had health issues and, and things get thrown in your face, you're like, I'm going to change my attitude about this. And we've definitely noticed that clinically. Um, uh, having yeah. People we haven't seen for a while, I don't know about you, Anthony, people I haven't seen for a while who around like once COVID, once we had that initial lockdown, then people just coming back going like, I just want to, 
I want to move more. I want to feel better. Um, but one thing I just wanted to touch on, because I feel like it would be remiss of us not to mention weight. Um, and the, like, I hate to bring it up because I'm, I'm a therapist who doesn't like to focus on, um, on body weight as being, you know, a, a goal for people, unless it's obviously, if that's a goal for them, then we can address that. But I sort of feel like around the perimenopausal and the early postmenopausal period, because a lot of women do put on weight, especially around the, um, around the midsection. And I know for some of us who've never had tummies, like putting weight there is a new thing. Um, and it can be very distressing for some people. And yeah. I just want to talk to that a little bit in terms of hormonally, what might be going on there, maybe some of the risks, but also, you know, you talked about not thrashing yourself with high intensity cardio kind of stuff. And that's kind of where I find a lot of women are coming from. They're just almost punishing themselves like, oh, I'm stacking on this weight. I must be lazy. I must be eating wrong. I must be not doing enough. And then, you know, then you're driving up that cortisol even more and punishing yourself by either going on, um, uh, like limiting the food intake, so going into a deficit or trying to do a um, intermittent fasting or doing, so putting these changes rather than those things you talked about before, those, what we call at GGS, those big rocks. And I know precision yeah. nutrition are the same, those big yeah, yeah. rocks, the sleep, the recovery the exercise that sort of, you know, nourishes you, the, the food intake that is the protein and the vegetables and, you know, that kind of stuff. So I just want to talk a little bit about the weight increase because I do think that's something that a lot of women worry about. It's a very hard chapter for me to write. I, I have one chapter that's, I have a nutrition section that's not going to blow anyone's mind who, who has studied any basic nutrition science. I talk about the how to eat and then what, and then what the macronutrients do and what the nuances are through menopause. But then I have a whole chapter and I think it's called, in fact, this is funny. Um, my husband is starting to read my book and it's a really cringy thing to, for me to see him like sat looking and I'm like, Ooh, I say things about you in there you maybe don't want to see. But then I asked my son, I said, where's your dad? And he went, he's out there finding out why you are so bloody fat, because that's what I call one of the chapters. It's like, why am I so bloody fat? Um, and it's because, and I, I didn't want to avoid it, but I actually found it very difficult to write because it's always the number one question. Why have I put so much weight on, right? It's all because of menopause and they blame menopause. And then I, so I wanted to tell women what we know from the research, what I've experienced myself personally, and then like what they can do about it um, without sort of being dismissive and saying, you can't blame everything on menopause. But I almost want to say that too, you know, like it's a very hard balance. And then I also need to have the conversation about, um, you know, it's really, we really have to stop body shame and we really do. We have to, we have to pull away from restriction. We have to pull away from the toxic diet culture, but yeah, it's still okay to lose weight if, if that suits your, you know, your mindset or your lifestyle goals or whatever. Like, so we have to find the messy middle. And so I do talk about that and I did put weight on myself. Um, and so I sort of talk from experience, but I didn't put much on. And, and I also talk about that as well. I, I, I want to say like, I understand you, but you know, I put 10 pound on, I didn't put 30 or 40 or 50 pound on like some people do. Right. So the stats, stats aren't in our favor. Perimenopausal women, um, there's something like uh, nine out of 10 in a survey for the North American. Menopause Society said they put on 10 pound in perimenopause or through menopause. 
70% worldwide of women put weight on through this time, right? So therefore, women will say, well, it's because of menopause. Well, so yes, some things are happening, right? But we have, this is a change in our life and we have to change the way we approach food and diet and, and just, and everything, right? So of course, the sleep, the stress, all of those things have to be in check. If you're doing everything right, but you're sleeping three hours a night and then you're doing a hit training thing, they're the two places you need to start, right? We know that already. But there's a couple of things that happen that make that a bit more challenging. So the way to do it, the nutritional basic information hasn't changed and it doesn't change through menopause. There is no menopause specific diet. The nutritional science still is sound, but you've got a few more hurdles to jump. And menopause just makes things really shitty and hard, right? But to get there, you've just got to persevere and do the long-term stuff and stick with it. So a couple of things, um, fat deposits shift. And uh, they shift from us being like a typical like pear shape to an apple shape. And so we see the way that fat deposits lie on women and we end up with these like fatter bellies and we never had them before. So even women that don't really put weight on may get bigger around the waist. And that's hard, like being the ultimate shape shifter, right? Um, and so the, and women, I call it the menopause flesh blanket. Like it just feels like there's this, like this fat under your arms and something that's like, where did this come from? And it's icky for some women, right? So there's a conversation to be had. Like, is it really icky? Like we know fat is actually a pretty cool substance in the body. It's metabolically active. We need it. And actually um, some estrogen is produced in adipose tissue, so that means a little bit of fat is probably good for you, but we need to find a balance where it's then isn't too much and it becomes a risk to your health. And, um, you know, other barriers that sort of like come along is that I talked about muscle protein synthesis and we see a rapid decline in muscle, um, um, the ability to maintain muscle, but we, we gain fat quicker. And so like, the prioritizing of protein and the strength training becomes more important than ever, as well as for all of the health benefits, if weight management is something that a woman wants to like take control of. And we also know protein is like the queen, so you should just be eating lots of it anyway. Um, the other hormones that get impacted as well as cortisol is insulin is also impacted. Some women lose that insulin sensitivity and become a little bit insulin resistant. And so definitely if we are, if you're still eating the foods that are going to sort of, and, and it's obviously lifestyle, we know that insulin's impacted by sleep and rest and moving and all of those things. And the diet plays some role in that too. So maybe there needs to be some changes to help with the insulin resistant problem. Two of the hormones that are impacted are ghrelin and leptin. So our hunger hormones and our satiating hormones are a little bit out of whack. And that's where precision nutrition is so great because it goes through the, are you hungry? Do you recognize true hunger? Can you eat slowly and can you eat until you're satisfied? If you have to spend weeks and months retraining and refocusing on those elements because your body isn't like, is all out of whack and it's like saying, feed me now all the time and I'm never ever going to be full, <laughs> then you might need to like dial back and, and like work on these behavioral habits. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because women also get really bad, like gut issues through menopause. So there'll be sometimes a lot of like water retention and bloating that can mask what real 
back in is as well. So, you know, there's all these things get happening. And so it can be like really frustrating and distressing for women to see their body sort of like shift quickly. And it usually is a quick shift over a year or two. Women can put this weight on and then they're like, I need a 21 day detox. Otherwise I'm never, ever going to lose this weight. And, and, you know, that's what I see out there personally on the market is these people that are trying to sell that. And I'm actually trying to sell the opposite. I'm trying to say, ah, let's just like pull back. Let's look at your whole lifestyle. Let's see the things that you can like downgrade a little bit to manage your stress. Let's work on behavioral habits that get you to understand what it feels to be truly nourished right? Before we start freaking out about you, like eating so much less, eating a thousand calories a day or whatever it is they tell you to do. But in fairness and in truth, the true way to lose weight is in an energy deficit. That's how it happens. Our me metabolic rate does slow down in menopause and it does slow down with age, but not significantly, not significantly enough that we can say my, metabol my met metabolism is screwed because of menopause. It's likely to be like, 200 calories it's likely to be a muffin you know like it's not significant that was such a great answer thank you so much for that amanda it's give me lots of food for thought um yeah. i saw it. yeah it's really interesting and i like the fact that um Good <laughs> food one. yeah no funny. food for thought you're clever <laughs> i think people like you said we you know we women often well people in general we we all want a quick fix right we want something that is going to be the tablet that that solves the problem, the um, the diet that'll fix the problem, and all the research, you know, does not support <laughs> diets. Ninety nine, so ninety nine percent of diets fail. Um, so, <laughs> so it's really, you know, going. I, I love that the the messaging that I'm hearing from you is about learning to tap into those sensations of when you're hungry. Are you truly hungry? Have you just eaten? Is you know what is going on in my? Is it that I'm bored is it that there's i can smell something around is it habit you know like i know with me it's there are some triggers that are they're just habits and then when i go distract myself with something else i'm like actually no i wasn't i wasn't hungry at all and i know we talked in the past maybe it was with molly anthony when we talked about um the satiation you know feeling and how for some of us who were brought up that you eat everything on your plate yes. and you are not allowed to leave anything behind because we, you know, we had no money growing up and it was just that if, if you left food behind, that was disrespectful and it was all the rest of it. So we grew up and my husband's the same. We grew up, it, we, you know, you cannot leave anything on the plate. And so I, it's taking me a long time to actually learn to kind of eat a bit slower for one thing, <laughs> but also to actually tap in and go, well, do I need to finish this plate? Am I just finishing it because it's there? Um, or do I actually feel like I need that to nourish my body? And so learning that stuff, you know, that can take a really long time if that's yeah. and it know, can take learning years. that at the age of 50. <laughs> it can take years to unpick all of that, right? That's, a, that's yeah. ingrained in us. I was the same too, right? Working class family, I had to eat peas, stuff that like makes me gag to this day. But, no, but like it was the same thing. It was like you realize that this food was important and, and you had to finish it. Because there were starving children in Africa. Africa yes. <laughs> and I remember saying, why can't we just post it to them? Because I don't want to eat this, these Brussels sprouts or oh. whatever. Um, oh. I mean, I'm, co I'm cognizant of the fact that we've had you for yes. over an hour now, but I just have one more question, if that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. 
Um, the last question I just want to ask was about the sort of, um, from the transition side of things in terms of life stages, you kind of, you know, tapped on that a little bit. And um, I think there's a bit in the book that I haven't got up to yet, but I remember reading somewhere, maybe it was um, Sarah Godfrey or someone like that, who was talking about, um, I guess that transition through menopause also being, you know, what else is going on in our lives and how, you know, maybe hundreds of years ago, the kids would have been up, gone out of the nest. And this would be a time where we would basically almost go out on our own and be going on a new life journey um, of discovery, self-discovery and other things. And, and almost like within our bodies, that's what we are designed to be doing in our forties because we're not supposed to be raising kids anymore. That's kind of done. And it can be almost like this difficult time when we're still you know, working, raising children, doing a million and one things, whereas potentially at a sort of genetic level, biological level, we are supposed to be in this time where we're by, like having more time by ourselves, going out and exploring the world. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, we're also living longer. The average age of a woman now is 81 years in North America. I bet it's similar like in Australia. And so, you know, we're living a lot longer. And like historically, if you go back, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, women usually would die around menopause it wasn't we we didn't live much longer than that and so all of the like health issues that we're dealing with are actually fairly new because we're living so much longer without estrogen it's sort of like a new field of medicine almost which is interesting um but from a circumstantial point of view i mean we a lot of women who have had children obviously not every woman does uh, are having children later in their lives you know, so their daughters may be going through puberty when you're going through menopause. And that was like probably something that never happened late, uh, earlier on. Um, the estrogen impacts your oxytocin levels as well, which is like, you know, your love hormone, your bonding hormone. It's the one that gets produced when you start breastfeeding and that sort of declines a little bit. And, and I think, and some women feel like pulled from aging parents juggling a full-time job, kids that are either driving them nuts or they're become empty nesters and they just feel like, what the, where's my purpose gone? Hating their husbands, divorce rates higher, you know, like actually it's awful to say, but suicide rate is higher in women through menopause. Like it's just a very challenging time for, for women. And then, you know, I've polled women in my community and I've asked them and they'll say things like I'm bored of myself I'm frustrated I'm exhausted I don't have any mojo I have no zest for life and it's like these feelings where they just feel like one they don't recognize themselves they've lost belief in themselves they've definitely lost the ability to find any strength in themselves and, and I recognize that too. I also recognize that like through so small circumstances that happened in my own life as well as in conversation. And, you know, there's psychological strategies that women can sort of like, and like harness. Uh, one of the chapters in my book is called Shift Happens. And it's about that mindset shift, right? I want to help women know that moving from the we to me mindset, which happens when that sort of oxytocin level starts to like go down a bit, you, you, it's okay to then say, you know, I'm super important. And actually there's a hierarchy and I used to be at the bottom because I put everyone else before me and now I'm going to put myself first. And 
you'd be quite surprised to realize that nobody minds you doing that. Like my family certainly never said, why is she taking time for herself instead of caring for us? They don't, they want you to be well and healthy and thriving, right? And most women are basically surviving through this. And so one, it's the, like, it's okay to put yourself first. It's in fact, I think it's important. It, it should be part of your self-preservation. Two, I think it's really important to um, try and harness and find out what are your strengths. And this is a, I actually have this in the book and it's a website called viacharacter.org and it's a psychological test you can take that allows you to find out what your strengths are. And there's another one that's also about values, valuecenter.com. And that's values are not goals. Values are, you know, what's the most important thing to you in your life and what makes you like want to get up in the morning. And for me, it was like family, friends, kindness, altruism, things like that. Things that like float my boat basically. Right. And then strengths are character traits that you, th you thrive at. So when I did it, for example, mine came out at curiosity. And then after that, it was like empathy, I think. Right. But the curiosity one was, I was like, Oh, I don't like that one. I want to do the test again. But curiosity in psychological terms is to be interested in something enough to sort of fall down the rabbit hole, to gather information, to garner it, and then to share it, to help other people similar to what you guys are doing, right? It's like what the purpose of your podcast, you want to del delve deep into situations so that you can help other people. It's literally the only reason you do it, right? Because you want to give information. And, and then I thought to myself, well, actually that, that makes so much sense to me. It helped me write the book. And so whenever I go off down these paths and I'm like, oh God, I've got to come back. I'm like, no, actually, this is something that... It, it goes with your mindset, it really helps you and it helps you live the life you want to lead. And then what happens is then you're allowed to say no to people and you're allowed to make choices. And then you end up like create, creating and carving this path that completely suits you and all of your values and strengths. And so that to me was a game changer through aging. I think more than menopause, just getting older it's just been so brilliant to actually always come back to these things and just go, yeah, I'm not going to go on this podcast because I don't believe in this person or what she sells or, you know, the products she's selling. It doesn't suit my, what's in my heart. So I'm not going to do it. And it's okay to say no, like that type of thing. And I think it's super important. Learning to say no, such a good life lesson. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Um, look, thank you so much for your time so far. And there's, there's been so much and I've really enjoyed uh, listening and thinking and considering and, and taking the journey with you. It's been, um, it's been a sensational time. We've covered lots of different things, the perimenopausal period, the, um, you know, the, the consistency and HRT and how it's different to 20 years ago and it was only one type of HRT that was studied um, and the effects that the fear has had and, you know, having it put into perspective so that we can just have information and decision-making in a considered way, in a, in a contextual way instead of just that, oh, no, you can have increased breast cancer. Um, and also the other things that lead to uh, empowered people 
So, you know, being able to understand the role of strength training and, and you know, making sure you have enough protein in your diet, um, being able to understand the, the, the way that your body reacts and needs to recover differently uh, because of the fluctuations in the hormones, as well as the, um, the way that you may have to change the way you do life and exercise, not forever, just temporarily, just for now. Um, and, you know, there's so much societal expectations. Uh, and then, you know, there's also the deposition of fat changes. Um, and the tough discussion, finding that messy middle, because we don't want to body shame people. And yet, there are health issues that come from increased visceral fat. And, you know, we, we talked about the hormones that are affected, not just progesterone and estrogen, but uh, insulin as well as ghrelin and leptin, leptin right? Um, yeah. so, so, you know, and how that affects the way that you feel appetite and satiation and tuning into that, being aware of that and stepping back and looking at, oh, why do I feel this? Am I hungry or is it a habit? Um, so there's, there's been lots of great information about that. And, and the thing that I've loved is just how much we're talking about the whole person going through perimenopause and menopause um, because it's things like, you know, being able to say no and understanding that it's okay that you prioritize your health and step back and say, no, that does not fit with my values. And these are my strengths and, um, you know, being okay with that. And um, yeah, really enjoyed that. You've given us some resources dotted throughout. I've tried to type them all down. Um, I'm sure that there's lots in the book. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about the book and how people can get in contact with you? Um, and we'll go from there. No, all I was going to say is I can't wait for you to go through menopause because you've just nailed it. <laughs> no, but you know what? I mean, everything that you spoke about can sort of be applied to anyone really, right? I mean, apart from obviously the hormonal changes, but the, like the attitude and the, and the focuses and, and, and for, as far as the menopause is concerned, like to me, it's just about education and knowledge equals choice. And that's what women don't have right now. They need choice so that they can advocate for themselves and they can make better decisions. And so, um, yeah, the book, I don't think it's available in the Southern Hemisphere yet, but I do know people in Australia and New Zealand who have it. So I think you can order it through the book depository. But if you go to amazon.com, you can get the ebook. The ebook is available. And um, my, you can find me at my website, which is fitandchips.com, F-I-T-N, chips, fitandchips.com. And actually that leads you to like my menopause community, my Instagram. I love my Instagram page. I'm really naughty on there. I sort of try and give lots of information, but I also am a bit sweary. <laughs> and my mom always texts me and tells me off. So Instagram, Facebook, everything's on there. And actually a link to where you can buy the book as well. Everything's there. That's sensational. And um, when, when I looked at your website, when we first connected, <laughs> yeah. it's like, she's in Texas. And she's got fit and chips. Like, that's not a Texas thing as far as I thought. And then when I heard your accent today, I went, 
Oh, yeah, that all makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I just love some of the expressions that have popped out in this podcast, like going out on the lash, because I spent 10 years in London and it's been a while since I've heard some of these, some of these terms. I love it. And, and you're in Houston. I haven't been to Houston yet. I've been to Austin and to Dallas. Um, oh, have you? Yeah, yeah. I, last year, actually, I've been to Austin a few times, but it's also where Franklin Barbecue is. And, you know, Central Texas, Texas brisket is just amazing but oh yeah it's no, it, we love the barbecue here but it's a bit like having lasagna you have it like once a year because it's just so intense yeah well if you're in if you do come to texas or houston give me a share anthony for yeah. sure when we're allowed to do all of that again you know look as soon as i'm allowed to i've got good friends in texas they're fantastic and um you know uh for sure we'll be doing that Look, uh, thank you very much for your time. Um, we've enjoyed it. Uh, and we'll put all the show notes in there. We'll try to put any references that we can there. And we look forward to speaking to you soon. Uh, it's great to meet you guys. I loved it. It was a nice way to end my day. So thank you for having thank me you on. For, thank you for staying up late. And um, everyone, go check out um, Menopocalypse. Uh, because I'm I'm halfway through it, as I said, it's um, Amanda is a very good writer. It's very easy to follow. It's that really nice blend of the science, but also a bit of humour in there, and peppered with her personal experiences and some of the experiences of the people in her group as well. So it's a really it's a very easy read. I found in a um, yeah. you know like it's just a it's a nice read and it's very practical and also like the. I'm up to the second half of the book, which is all the actual steps that you can take to help, you know, and, and it's like I said, it's a book of hope because it's giving people actual strategies so that they're not sitting, we're not sitting in this space of shit. I feel horrible. I don't know what to do. My doctor's not really helping me. No one, it's not something that anyone's talking about. It's actually, it's there. Um, so I would encourage anyone who's sort of heading down this path to go check it out. Um, and as, as we said, we'll put the links in the show notes, but you can find it on Fit and Chips. Yay. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so thank much. I thoroughly enjoyed myself and enjoy the rest of your day, guys. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks very much. Well, that's it for this episode. Be sure to hit like if you enjoyed the episode and leave any comments or questions below. We'd really like to hear from you. If you haven't already hit subscribe, please do so now so that you can be kept notified when we release our next episode. Otherwise, thank you for listening and we look forward to having you back with us for another episode of the Women's Health Podcast.